scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 14 to 27. The foot should... Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not, do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Please be seated. Thanks, Josh. When I shop at Co-op, I am asked for my membership card. If I give a certain amount to an organization, I can be a platinum member. I am a member of a sports team. Can you hear this okay? Is it ringing? Yeah, it's okay. Church membership. For many people, those words together evoke a negative response. It might conjure up an image of an exclusive club where you are either in or you're out, depending on whether or not you have met the criteria. Membership has its privileges. That's an image diametrically opposed to what we believe church membership is. So it evokes a negative reaction. Perhaps for others, membership is a numbers game. It sounds impressive if a pastor can say, our church has 300 or 600 members. Maybe there's been a bad experience of membership. On one hand, either pressure to become a member or had membership revoked for whatever reason. So for these reasons and maybe for others. Membership is perceived as a negative thing. So we ask, why membership? The Bible doesn't talk about capital M church membership, which is true. It's a human construct. Why bother with it at all? So I want to address it today because we at TBC think that membership is important. And I hold a high view of membership and I believe it to be a valid expression of what the Bible teaches about the church. Now, it's undeniable that membership has been both abused and misunderstood by many churches, pastors, leaders, and church members, the congregation themselves. 
But does that mean that membership is somehow wrong or inappropriate? So that's what I would like to talk about this morning. I'd like to do that by doing three things. One, outlining the two biblical principles that underlie the, um, the practice of church membership. And then two, to talk more specifically about why church membership is significant or important to us. And finally, to outline the commitments of membership. What do you committing yourself to when you become a member. So first, we'll start with two underlying principles, two biblical truths that don't speak to church membership specifically, but are nevertheless the foundation upon which our practice of membership rests. So first, there is a corporate reality to our faith. There's a corporate reality. Often we consider our faith to be a matter between God and me. It's a private thing. That's not the biblical, biblical view. The Bible reveals a corporate faith. It is true that God works in the heart of the individual to bring faith. And so we rightly emphasize the personal decision. It's good that we do that. But while faith is and must be personal, it is never just private. It's never private. At the moment of salvation, the believer is united not only with Christ, but with the church, with the people of God. And the Bible uses several pictures to describe that. There's a picture of the body of Christ in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12 which you just had read for us. Many members, but one body. The church is the bride of Christ. He doesn't have millions of brides, but just one. I am not his bride, but we together are his bride. The church is also the temple of God. And Christians, according to Ephesians 2, are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Um, Ephesians 2 describes how part and parcel of what God did in dealing with our sins and reconciling us to himself was also reconciling us to each other. Barriers that separate people, like the barrier between Jew and Gentile, which is what Paul is writing about in this chapter, barriers are removed. The dividing wall of hostility, Paul calls it, is destroyed. In Christ, we are equal. We are one. Consequently, Paul writes, together you are one household, one building, as it were, in which God lives. And that is important for us to understand. It is not only true that as Christians, God takes up residence in each of us, but that he takes residence in all of us together. Together, we are being built into a building in which God lives. So, many pictures that describe the corporate reality of the Christian faith. At the moment of salvation, the believer is united with Christ and his church, God's people. These are not two simultaneous events, but in fact, one event. The Bible knows nothing about a lone ranger Christian in isolation from God's people. So the Bible assumes the corporate reality of our faith. Second, 
there is a local expression of that reality. Okay? The corporate reality, but the local expression of it. The unity of the one church of Jesus Christ across the globe, across the centuries, exists in miniature in pockets of believers that we call churches. So there, there is the one church of Jesus Christ, but then there are churches, also the body of Christ. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, letters are sent to the seven churches. In his letter to Philemon, Paul greets the church that meets in Philemon's home. And in 1 Corinthians 12, I think most significantly, Paul writes that you are the body of Christ. He doesn't say we, including himself. He doesn't say you are part of the body of Christ. But you, Christians in Corinth, are the body of Christ. So the New Testament church is the body of Christ expressed in microcosm. Believers who belong to one another and serve Christ together in local churches and congregations. So the corporate reality and its local expression are the foundation upon which our practice of church membership is built. Now, these things do not in and of themselves dictate the practice of capital M church membership. Even if we do affirm the corporate reality and its local expression in the church, could we not still just be a Christian? and be part of the church without signing on the dotted line and being, a, again, capital M member. Yes, we could. But there are some reasons that we believe it is important to take that step of formal commitment. And that's what it, uh, membership is. It's formal commitment, kind of like wedding vows. So then I want to suggest four reasons this morning why it, it is important to take that step. First, it signifies identification with the church. Identification with the church. A way of explicitly saying, I'm in. This is my home. This will be my church. I know a number of you have immigrated to Canada from Africa, Southeast Asia, Europe, when someone wants to move from one country to another, there are several ways that that can happen. You can get a visitor's visa or a work visa or student visa, which is valid for an extended period of time. You could be given landed immigrant status and live, I think, indefinitely in a country. But you come to the point sometimes when when you take the step of citizenship. The EU, Aquinos, did that. When you become a citizen of a country, you say, this country will be my home. This is where I will stay. I will enjoy the benefits of this country, and I will live under its laws. This will be my country. I identify myself as a, in our case, Canadian. That's what church membership does as well. In an age where organized religion is disparaged and looked down on, Membership says, I identify with the church. In a time where institutions are suspect, membership says, count me in. I'm a part of this institution. Membership recognizes that not only do I belong to Christ, 
but that I belong to his church. I said that formally. I belong to this church. It signifies identification with the church. Second, it signifies ownership of the mission of the church. Ownership of the mission of the church. Now, the church of Jesus Christ in the world has one task, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, that takes place inside, knowing Christ, and outside, making him known. Introducing people to Jesus Christ and helping to to grow in relationship with him. This is our one great mission. Okay, the church has something to do. I think that all too often when we talk about church membership, we base it on what we believe. Do you want to be a member? Okay. Do you agree with the doctrine of the church? And as long as the right things are believed, you can be a member. And I think we make a mistake here. I think that's a low view of membership. Membership is about joining with God's people and working together to fulfill the task that we have all been given. And so membership says, I'm committed. In other words, membership is not just about believing, but also about doing. And churches come in all kinds of flavors, as we know All churches are to be centered in Jesus, rooted in Scripture, about the task of making disciples. But from there, church can look very different. I know of churches who use the arts, or use signs and wonders, or use music to draw people to a place where they can hear the proclamation of the gospel and be changed. A church may emphasize social gospel and care or international work, or personal spiritual formation, relational evangelism. Some churches are built around small groups. Some are house churches. Some focus on Sunday morning gatherings. Some are liturgical. Some are traditional. Some are quiet. Some are loud. Some use events. Some emphasize relationship. Some are in a university context. Some in neighborhoods with lots of children or seniors. A church that meets downtown will look very different and do different things than a church in the suburb or rural church. Some churches have pastors and some do not. Not every church is the same, and nor should every church be the same. Every church is made up of different people, and every church operates in a unique context. Uh, In our home, we are constantly bombarded by phone and mail, by people and organizations asking for involvement or donations for this cause or that cause. And there's sometimes good causes, but we only give of ourselves to those causes that we believe in, those causes in which we have decided our priorities. Church membership says, I believe in what this church is doing. I like how they're doing it. I want to be a part of it. I'm committed And I will contribute to the fulfillment of the mission of this church. So, membership signifies ownership of the mission of that particular church. Third, 
Membership provide a context in which to serve. Having said, I'm in and I'm committed, membership also says, I'm involved. I'm involved. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible clearly states that God has given to each one of us some unique gift or ability, some contribution that we can each make to the life of the church. And that contribution is made in connection with the rest of the body. Now, this does not mean that only official members are able to help the church make disciples. But church membership makes explicit and affirms that connection to a body. It provides the context any player with no symphony. They might be very good at what they do, but there's no context in which to use their gifts. And finally, fourth, church membership provides a connection with a spiritual family. Connection with a spiritual family. And here is where churches often go wrong in membership and where membership is misunderstood. Connection with a spiritual family does not mean membership in a club where only church members are listened to, cared for, prayed for, visited, looked after. But there is a sense in which church membership takes that connection to a more intimate level. And so membership says, I belong. When Kara and I were getting to know each other, and even after we got engaged, I spent a significant amount of time with her and with her parents, just hanging out at their house. I enjoyed them, was delighted to discover that they enjoyed me. They cared for me. I was welcome in their home. We ate together, watched TV together, played games together. I even spent Christmas at their house. But on the day that Kara and I got married, Something else happened. I still hung out at their place. We still played games. But now I was one of the family. There was a dynamic there that wasn't there before. It gave the sense of a strengthened commitment to each other. And church membership is like that. It's not like if you're not a member, then you're on the outside. Though sometimes I think we can give that impression. But there is a strengthened sense of belonging to one another, belonging to a spiritual family. So four reasons why I think membership is so important to do. Identification with the church, says I'm in. Ownership of the mission of the church, I'm committed. A context in which to serve, I'm involved and provides a connection with a spiritual family, a place where we can say, I belong. So let me ask you this morning, do you consider Thornhill Baptist Church your church home? When you speak about my church, do you mean this church? If this if is where you come week after week to be with God's people and to feed your soul, can you affirm and own the mission of this church? This body of believers, uh, is this the body of believers that you are connected to? If you call Thornhill your home church, then I want to challenge you this morning 
with the issue of membership. Asked you to affirm and formalize and make real to strengthen your connection with this church. Will you say, Thornhill is my church and here is my place in the kingdom of God? Now, I can't talk about membership without also addressing the responsibilities of membership because membership has responsibilities. And they're mutual. And a, a church makes a commitment to its members. And to become a member is to make a commitment to the church. And again, I think we often do ourselves a disservice by placing low expectations on our members. And I would suggest that we need to call ourselves to something higher when you become members of the church. So very quickly, eight basic mutual responsibilities of membership. So, eight. But that is, if I'm a member of the church, I will, at the very least, this is a minimum, commit myself to these eight things. So, first, there is attendance. Attendance. Regular, faithful attendance of Sunday worship services. Understanding the importance of regularly meeting together with God's people for worship and instruction Encouragement. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together. 1 Corinthians 12 says, The body is not made of one part, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. In fact, no part can say to any other part, I don't need you. So part of identifying with a congregation of believers means attending church with them. Now, that sounds obvious, but I'm amazed at how often people holding membership can hold membership in one church, but be fully involved in another. Or having membership in a church, though they haven't gone to church it's six months or a year or more. Now, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances, I understand that. But if I'm on a soccer team, for example, shouldn't I go to the games and the practices? Attendance. The second responsibility is that of personal spiritual growth. Personal spiritual growth. Understanding that God calls each of us to deepen our relationship with him and to mature in our knowledge and our faith. Ephesians 4 says... That as, as each part of the body does its part, we will be built up to maturity. Quote, then, will we, then we will be no longer infants. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things go up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Hebrews 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Remember, Thornhill Baptist Church exists to know Christ and to make him known. And we assume that when you formalize your membership, you are affirming that you too exist to know Christ and are committed to growing in that knowledge. And that growth, according to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, sorry, and 1 Corinthians 12, cannot happen apart from the community of faith. We are in this together. So personal spiritual growth. Third, 
we members uh, commit to being and being a witness for Christ. A witness for Christ in our life, speech, ministry involvements. Understanding that each one of us is called to be involved in seeing people come to Jesus. It's not the job of the outreach committee. Their job is to keep what we call outreach on the front burner. But Matthew 28 records Christ's command to make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This, too, is basic Christianity. And so we assume that church members will be involved in this together with us. Fourth, the responsibility to pray. A responsibility of prayer. To pray for the people and the ministries of Thornhill Baptist Church. Understanding the biblical commands to pray. And recognizing that your prayers on behalf of this church are necessary to his health and effectiveness. To pray for this church is necessary to his health and effectiveness. And if you are a member of this church, you will pray for this church. Pray continually, the Bible says. James 5 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sin one to another and pray for each other. Every Christian is called to pray. Is the, is, is the air that we breathe is necessary to the Christian life. And part of that life of prayer will include prayer for the body of believers of which we are a part. Fifth, active, intentional involvement in the life and ministry of TBC. Active and intentional involvement in the life of the church. Understanding that each one of us has a role to play in the fulfillment of our strategy. Okay? Written on the front of our bulletins, by the way. This is what we're about. And again, the biblical uh, image of the Bible presupposes that each part is needed and has something to contribute. Romans 12. Just as each of one Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And Paul goes on to say, everyone has a gift. Everyone has a gift. And if your gift is leadership, lead. If it's showing mercy, then show mercy. If it's giving, then give. And everyone has a part to play. The implication then is that if you attend but otherwise are not involved in the life of the church, you shouldn't be a capital M member. I heard one pastor say, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. Everyone can serve. In actual uh, active, intentional prayer and service, but everyone has something to offer to the life and the ministry effectiveness 
of the church. Sixth, members commit to a regular financial support of the ministry of this church. Regular financial support of the ministry of this church. Understand that godly stewardship of God's resources involves giving to work of God's kingdom. The Bible has a lot to say about tithing, the setting aside of money expressly for the work of God. Both 1 and 2 Corinthians teach about that. 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 2 Corinthians 8, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, traditionally, the tithe is giving to the church, given to the church, not for the sake of the church itself, but for the sake of the mission of the church, to enable the church to carry on its mission in the name of Jesus. And if I eat at McDonald's, I don't go pay Burger King. And you may feel that some of your money needs to go to God's work outside our local church, and that's great. But I would suggest that not all of it should. Our family gives 10% here, and the things we support outside this church are in condition to that because we are convinced that a basic responsibility of church membership is the support of the church of which we are a part. This is not a plea for cash. It's part of being a member. Seventh, a lifestyle and an attitude of love, understanding that love for other Christians, for our neighbors, and even our enemies is God's will for us, according to the scriptures. And it's a shameful thing that Christians have not always been known for, for the love. We shout at the world. We gossip without a second thought. We let people suffer alone. Well, at TBC, we want to love well, deeply, practically. We want to forgive, to serve, to support. And if you are a member here, we assume that you will love people and will love people here. That you will not speak anything except what is helpful for building others up. Ephesians 4, 29 says that. And the eighth and final responsibility of membership is submission to the leadership of the church. Submission to the leadership of the church. Understanding that God has appointed leaders in his church to give oversight and direction. And at times to exercise discipline. One lady who was a part of the church some time ago um, got hung up on that point. We talked about membership, and she said, I bow the knee to Christ, not people. Granted, but if Christ tells you to submit to leadership, do you bow the knees, knees to Christ if you refuse to do that? If Christ tells you to submit to leadership, do you bow the knee to Christ if you refuse to do that? Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders. 
and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, this does not mean that if I tell you to do something, to do it. But it does mean that if the leadership makes a decision about the vision or some ministry decision or direction, if you don't like it, by all means, communicate that. But at the end of the day, if leadership feels confidence that God would have us move in this direction, then rally behind it, support it, move forward together, trusting that if God needs to steer and course correct, he will. But support and get behind your leaders. Now, of course, that makes a heavy burden on those in leadership too. Okay? We as leaders need to be men and women of Jesus, of scripture, of prayer, of character. We must lead recognizing that we will give an account of how we have led God's people. Romans 12, if your gift is leadership, govern diligently. So to affirm membership is to place yourself under the leadership of those who lead the church and its ministry. Pray for them. Trust them. Encourage them. So eight responsibilities of membership. And this is, this is the low end of membership. This is not something we aspire to. This is membership at its very basic level. Attendance personal growth, being a witness for Christ, prayer for the church, involvement in the church, financial giving, love, and submission to leadership. That is what church membership looks like. And as an aside, we also use church membership as a criteria to vote on things like the budget. We don't want anyone to vote here who is here for the like second week and won't be here anytime after the third week. Okay, it's not appropriate to vote on the coming of the church pastor when one has um, first Sunday here. Um, also, we encourage you to attend for at least a year or so so that you can indeed affirm such things as the mission of the church. A guy said that he affirm that the church should be united, pulling in the same direction, until he re realized that we weren't pulling in his direction. So while baptism, which I spoke about last week, should happen immediately when one make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ, membership to, should take a little time. Okay. I didn't propose to Cara the first day we met. But membership is important. And that's why it should take time. So you can, you can affirm those things that membership affirms in the church and then take that step. And like I said at the beginning, membership is often misunderstood and evokes a negative, a negative reaction. It's a man-made construct. And in sense, that's true. But I think that membership is a wonderful an important way to affirm things that are entirely biblical regarding the church and our relationship and involvement in the church. So again, for those of you who are members of Thornhill Baptist Church, 
Will you evaluate that connection and say, am I a member in practice? Does my membership mean something or is it just simply on paper? If you are a member, think about the eight practices of membership and ask yourself, am I in practice a member of this church? If you're not a member this morning, again, I want to ask you that if this is your church home, would you consider making explicit and affirming your partnership with us in ministry, your connection to this body of believers? If you do say that Thornhill is your church home, I would encourage you to ratify that and make it official, make it explicit. And I don't want to push because the Bible does not mandate capital M membership. But I would ask you to think and to pray about that. And I encourage you strongly to become a member of the church. I challenge you to take the Bible seriously in those things. And if you have questions about that, contact me or one of the leaders. And we'll talk about these things. If you're not a member, please consider it. If you are a member, I challenge you, be sure not to miss out on the fullness of what membership means. Serving together, belonging together, in the context of the only means that God has ordained for the transformation of the world, the community of faith that is the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.